Welcome to School of Movies. <laughs> Creed. With us is Brendan Agnew of Synapse. Greetings. The Rocky series means a lot to us. We'll cover them later along with Creed 2, but right now we're going to cover the best of all of them. We're keeping the show lean and mean and free of swagger and pageantry. Ryan Coogler's second film after Fruitvale Station, again starring the De Niro to his Scorsese, Michael B. Jordan, is intense and densely packed with information. We could get lost if we don't keep our heads clear. Ryan, being about our age, like so many of us, watched the Rocky films with his dad, and so the stories and the man he shared them with remain connected in his mind. This means that in later years, when Ira Kugler fell sick, his son hatched a story of his own, one about the son of Apollo Creed coming out to the world and fighting his own inner demons, trading blows with the ghost of his father, all the while mentored by the fading star of his childhood, Rocky Balboa. Is a personal story for Ryan, and you could feel it in every exchange. The sharpness and depth in every frame, even the intensity of colour in the red and the blue. It is nothing short of a masterpiece, and we're going to go in hard, and we're going to go in fast, and we're going to find out why it's a masterpiece along the way. To play us in, here is one of the greatest trailers ever made. built for this these boys come in here they gotta fight for life people die in the ring your daddy died in the ring i don't know him i ain't got nothing to do with me let me fight my whole life it's not a choice for me every punch i ever thrown has been on my own nobody showed me how to do this I'm ready. Sick, sick, sick eyes from the nose pressure. Surely slip, zip ties on the protesters. The six wives in the fry of a mold weather. Better medic, caviar bar out in Odessa. Dirty needles breaking all the old records. A hundred holes, one shovel, and some old treasure. Old seat, use thief as a gold tester. Figure rolls, finger waves, crossing from the old levels. This picture's from the 10th round of the first fight, right? I heard about a third fight between you and Apollo. Behind closed doors. Is that true? How do you know all this? I'm a son. A great fighter once said, it ain't about how hard you can hit. It's about how hard you can get hit. And keep moving forward. See this guy here? That's the toughest opponent you're ever going to have to face. I believe that's true in the ring, and I think that's true in life. Now show me something. So what is special about it? Why is that trailer so good? There was one thing that particularly caught my attention because we watched the trailer before, immediately before seeing the film. There's a line when Rocky and Adonis meet in the restaurant and they're talking about Apollo. And in the trailer, Adonis says, I'm his son. And in the movie, he says, he's my father. 
Now, those two sentences do not mean the same thing. Nice. Mm-hmm. And I haven't worked out yet what they do mean in their <laughs> respective locations, but I think the distinction is worth highlighting. One is uh, a statement of fact, and the other is a uh, an ownership that he doesn't feel he's earned yet. Um, he doesn't... I mean, Adonis, fa- uh, you know, Apollo fathered him, but he never got the chance to feel like he was his son. Uh, I, I think that's part of of what like seeking out Rocky is is part of all about, and we'll we'll talk about family and um, and abandonment issues and all that. I'm I'm sure a lot. Mm. Um, that's one thing I think you really kind of nail there, Sharon. Is there's there's a very clear difference to those, and I don't know if that was just one of those we're doing separate takes or we do something specifically different for the trailer. But that's one of those instances where Kugler made a, a very definite decision to, to change that particular line. Mm. Um, I think you're right there. And I think you, you're right about the context as well. I'm his son sort of encapsulates the point of the whole film. And so it being in the trailer is appropriate. He's my father is the beginning of the story. Mm-hmm. I uh, originally showed you this trailer, Sharon, and you had no idea, I think, that this film was even being made. No, I didn't. So it starts off that the first minute or so of this is all about Adonis, and it shows you his story, and it, it tells you your daddy died in the ring, but it gives no specifics. And you are invested in this story before Apollo's name, before Rocky's name gets invoked. When they bring that in, it's to allow people who don't know quite what they're watching to go, oh, shit. But it goes out of its way to establish this is its own story first. I think you're absolutely right about the um, the, d- the definite distinction between I'm his son and he's my father. I think Kugler wanted to go out of his way. Like, Kugler got him to say both. And for the trailer, you're asking when you're watching the trailer, who is this guy? Mm. And I'm his son is like, right, so now this is going to be the legacy of that. He's my father in the film complicates it because it's addressing Apollo, not Adonis. Mm, The the way it's shot is sort of like the emotional experience of watching the film in that Creed is, I I agree, it's a masterpiece. And part of the reason why it works so well is you are 200% invested in Donnie's story and by the time they peel back everything that the movie is doing, um, like if you're going to watch just one film in the Rocky series, watch this. Because by the time you get to the end, you will want to go back and watch everything else because it just fills in all of these little cracks mm-hmm. that you can only you know, fully appreciate if you've seen the other films. But you will already find them fascinating and brilliant texture and characterization if this is the only thing that you've seen. And the trailer is kind of like a two and a half minute condensed version of that. Oh, so this is what we're doing and this is why we're okay. Yes, I am. I am in right now. Yeah. And I think what the trailer encapsulates as well is that this is a film about past and future But there's a way of doing that where you're trying to look in both directions at the same time and it it tears you apart. And there's a way of doing it where you are standing on the shoulders of the past in order to reach your future. And I think it it makes it clear that that's the route that this story is going to take. 
I'm uh, unlike a lot of uh, people of our age, because unlike Sharon, who grew up with these things and watching them with her dad, I didn't see any of the Rocky films until I had already met Sharon. We rented from Blockbuster Rocky, the original Rocky, because you were like, I've got to show you this. And someone had been buffing their driveway with this, because back in the day, when Blockbuster went to DVDs, and in fact, this might have been what fucked Blockbuster. It, it was all of the other things, but this was one of them. You can mistreat a videotape, kind of like, but they're quite robust, They'll take it. Mm. You as long mistre- as you don't flip the cap, nothing's going to happen to the tape. You mistreated DVD, son. That thing was so scratchy. We got It kept skipping and pausing during the actual film. We got to the end, and it's the last few minutes, and the whole thing crashed on us. I didn't know how Rocky ended for years. So that kind of put me off. Then Rocky Balboa came out, and I saw that on, uh, it would have been DVD at the time. And that got me really invested in Rocky. So every then we went back and we watched all of them. I think we got your dad a box set. Mm. And we were like, can we just borrow this? And we watched one, two, three, four, and 5. And because I'd seen Balboa and it meant something to me already, everything else was retrospective. I think the same will work with Creed for people who are just coming in as, for this as an entry point. Uh, only rather than this being about Rocky, this is about the legacy that uh, Apollo left. So really... Rocky Four is effectively a prequel to this film. It strengthens this- what is otherwise a collection of montages and some jingoistic flag waving. Exactly. The Creed is so good that it makes even the lesser Rocky films good. I'm one of the few people who sort of kind of likes Rocky Five. Yeah, I kind of like Rocky Five as well. Rocky Four is the one that I absolutely adore, and most people are like, mm. really? But this actually adds perspective to Rocky Five. Continue, Brendan. You're right. Well, because it it's doing all of it, it's we you know you've talked about you know the Marvel Cinematic Universe a lot on School of Movies, we have. and this is doing something similar where it will just use all of these things that have come before as these are definitive things that have happened that have impacted the characters and that have had meaning. And so even something just really stupid like you know in the background you've got Polly's robot or you have uh, some very awkward things going on in Rocky Five, but all of the things that happened with his family, with his life, with Adrian, with his son, and with Apollo and all of that, it still has so much dramatic weight, payoff, and creed that it's like no, this still matters. This it still makes even this goofy nonsense worthwhile. Yeah. Uh, but also the trailer beyond the, uh, uh, the the simply laying down an exciting story that you're going to want to watch, it sets the pace for the film that eventually came out. It's one of those rare trailers that really feels exemplary of the end product. Rather than just marketing this to you, it gives you the feeling of Creed. There's a, there's a reason why they show that guy blowing fire at the end. They're like saying, this is going to be a spectacle. You come and watch this, you're going to see struggle, you're going to see a man trying to find himself, and you're going to see a fight that is legendary. It sets down the imagery that you're going to be watching, but it also lays down the philosophy. Rocky's line about um, the guy in the mirror, the, the, your shadow boxing, going to be the toughest opponent you ever face. It, it lays down, this is going to do the, the thing that Rocky did when it was at its best, which is to make you think while you're watching the pugilism go on. It's more than just two guys sweating and trading blows. There's other things being fought in this ring. And that's what this trailer conveys excellently. But it also does it with this new attitude that Ryan Coogler just has this... This feeling of freshness and it feeling relevant to, to kids now with Prisoner by uh, Lupe Fiasco. It feels relevant in a way that 
this franchise needed. Here's the thing. From the outside, if you've followed the Rocky films your, your whole life, you could just assume that this is just another Rocky film. But if you go and look at the actual pedigree, the original Rocky was directed by John G. Aveldson, who also directed Rocky V. Sylvester Stallone wrote and did the story to Rocky I, Rocky II, Rocky III, Rocky IV, Rocky V, and he also directed 2, 3, and 4. So this has very much been Sylvester's baby. And then Rocky Balboa comes along. That's, again, all Sylvester, directed, screenwritten, story. This is all Stallone. And Ryan Coogler comes along to the studio, to Stallone, and says, I've thought of this new story. And if you look at the director, Ryan Coogler, written by Ryan Coogler, story by Ryan Coogler, oh, screenwriter also Aaron Covington, that's what Creed is. And then with Creed 2, which we're not going to talk about because that's its own thing, uh, directed by Stephen Capel Jr., Sylvester Stallone, now writing it again, and Jewel Taylor. Again, it's, it's shifted back to Stallone. This Creed 1 is Ryan Coogler's baby. And it's a rarity for the franchise as a result. Do we not call it franchise series? You um, object to the term franchise now. No, no, no. I object to the term franchise in very specific contexts. This, I would argue... No, in fact, no, you can't call it franchise because it's it's Stallone every time. It's Stallone every time, yeah, but this one not, time Coogler's come along and, and made this But it's, it's not a studio shopping around for somebody to make a cheaper version of something. That's it's not like a money. Jurassic Park where they're like, who will we get exactly. for this one? Yeah. Yeah. Although even with that, Stallone had a very definitive voice in Rocky as a character in this film because most definitely, yeah, they they were. I mean, Coogler and I can't imagine the like the brass tacks you would have to have to go to Sylvester Stallone and say, "Hey, you want to come make Rocky Seven with me? I just wrote this thing." <laughs> um, but but Stallone still has. I mean, he he was still very much having creative input and how, okay, well, here's how Rocky would say this, or here's what he would do. And of course, like if you've seen the, the better versions that we've seen of that character where he's got, you know, the sort of easy ramble and the, the hat and the bouncy ball before he becomes just kind of like a machine in four. Um, it, it's, it's very apparent that, yeah, he's, he's living in Kugler's world, but he's still very much inhabiting this character that he created back in 1976. Yeah. This is Rocky Seven, like Spider-Man Homecoming is Iron Man Seven. They've mm. all been Iron Man films, but this is Peter's film. Mm. So this is Adonis's film. Yeah, and having Stallone have that creative input into how Rocky behaves and having it be so faithful to how the character was originally developed makes him seem slightly off-centre, slightly out of sorts with the world around him, and that fits for who this character is now and how he's living now. I told you. I tried to tell you something, bro. You don't want to listen. You don't want to listen. You gotta learn things the hard way, huh? We're gonna go by theme rather than by moment because there's so much densely packed into each uh, moment as it goes along that we'd be going back and revisiting themes over and over again. So we're gonna go by the themes of, in the first case, father. So like, what can, what can you guys tell us about father and father figures in this film? And we could be here all day just on this one theme. We really could. One thing I would definitely put forward here, and because it's me, it's father by juxtaposition with mother and Adonis is kind of the epitome of 
the man raised by women. If you look at the influences in his life and who's primarily brought him up, it was first of all his birth mother, then you've got the, I mean, I know she's only representative, but the female guard at the juvenile hall that he's living in when Marianne comes to find him. Okay. Marianne herself, who's provided him with massive input and and love, and they scored a huge hit getting Felicia Rashad for this because she's Claire Huxtable. She is instant mum value. Uh-huh. the extension of unconditional love that she puts out to this boy who is not hers, who is the personification of a hurt that was done to her. And she's said, that doesn't, it, that doesn't matter, that's not him. He deserves to be raised with love and care and all of the money that Apollo could have put behind him if he was still alive. That's what she offers him and brings him up with. And then Bianca comes in later with her philosophy and offers that to his life as well. So his primary influential relationships have been feminine. His relationship with the masculine, he has had to construct himself from the ground up. His father is conspicuously absent and he's reaching out to make those connections from the position that a a son should not have to be reaching out to his father it's meant to go the other way and that that is how he has to define himself until he can work out exactly what that relationship means is kind of the spine of where his story goes in this I think one of the other really important distinctions that this film makes is something we saw in Guardians Volume 2 a couple years later of, you know, what it means for someone to be your father versus your dad. Because Apollo was – and this was not by choice where, you know, you have some father figures that are um, just garbage or leave by choice. You know, he couldn't be in the picture. And so Adonis had a father, but he never really had a daddy. And the the whole journey that he goes on is, one, being able to construct a family that would fill that hole. And the fact that, you know, the, the end you get to, you know, Apollo Creed's son looks at you and says, family line just kind of slays me, um, building to that. And the other thing that he that he's building to is, is accepting what he says that, you know, I, I love my father and I know he didn't leave me by choice. And kind of coming to terms with those things of like, I never had someone to fill this role in my life and it has brought me so much anger and being able to finally let go of that because you're able to replace it with something that you have found and created that is just as meaningful to you. It was a twofold absence. Not only was uh, Creed not there because he was dead, but he's the product of an infidelity, which makes it feel like he doubts whether... Apollo would even have been in his life had he lived, which leaves him constantly feeling that he was a mistake. He says it himself uh, later that that uh, he was never meant to be, and that how can he define himself if he wasn't brought into the world intentionally? Which is something so many people face. The bit where he says that I have to prove it that I'm not a mistake is something that the it, it's an example of Kugler adding that extra garnish that maybe the film wouldn't necessarily have needed because Adonis is a very compelling character, even without that final, that final kind of unlocked door. But once you, once that door opens during that final fight, 
then everything else crystallizes so clearly and beautifully. It's not like having, you know, a final twist of like, oh, you know, this person was this all the time. It's like, oh, everything he has done, his entire attitude makes so much sense once you've got that kind of just that final nail exactly where it is. So the root of his anxiety stems from this fear of being a mistake and the fear has led to great anger. The transformation of fear into anger is something that goes very commonly with the perfect masculine. The the idea of if you're going to be a strong man, you can feel anger, you can express things as anger, but that's it. You're not allowed to show any vulnerability in any other way. And listening to Kugler's way of talking about what motivated him to make this film in the first place and and how he operates and how he interacts with people when he works, that is clearly not something that he holds to, mm. that anger is the only acceptable form of, of emotional manifestation for for men. And for him to be able to get this across while still using anger functionally is quite an achievement. Well, the anger that Apollo has, it, and we see it, in the, the imagery that Kugler is so adept at constructing, just these these mountains of themes and feelings in just one picture of where he's shadow boxing against his father during the you know, the the point where he's slowly starting to drift away from his job and his mother and his and his home in California. The the fact that he he needs to fight. He's feel he feels abandonment, he feels angry, and he has to fight his father. He has to fight God. He has to fight something to prove that he wasn't a mistake. And of course, like the, the film very much does, like you say, argue against that having to be the only way you can express that fear because he, he loses the big fight at the end of the film, but Rocky has never been about winning or losing the boxing match because the fights in Rocky are the ones that are always, always internal. And, you know, Adonis, like, bringing everyone in, not pushing people away, but bringing people in and finding love and finally just accepting all of those parts of himself, that's his victory and that's him being able to not just process things through anger. But, I mean, he actually has that open grief that he shares with a stadium of 100,000 people, which, you know, would have been nearly impossible at the beginning of the movie. Mm. And the that's emphasized in the... There's a deleted scene where there's a... a cutting back and forwards between Adonis and his crew and Conlon. And although he has people around him, and I think even uh, a couple of children who appear to be his kids, his sons, he doesn't connect with anybody. And the final frame of him before they go to the fight is him sitting alone. Whereas Adonis has got Bianca there, he's got Rocky, he's got all his trainers. There's this real sense of, of his family being there and, and being behind him and giving him that foundation to be able to use other methods of expression than uh, than anger. I mean, in terms of it being... It, having that, that sense of this is how a man expresses himself through anger, through fighting... One thing I think it's worth noting about the name, obviously Apollo and Adonis are both from Greek mythology. They're not father and son in Greek mythology, but Apollo is the god of the sun. 
and uh, very naturally beautiful and everybody turns to him and, and sort of admires him as God. He's the closest, I think, in the in the Greek pantheon, apart from Zeus. To He's just Superman type. God, yeah, exactly. And Adonis is specifically a, a god of beauty and male beauty, masculine beauty in particular. And there's a book called The Adonis Complex, which is about men who feel very pressured to have a particular type of physique, who get eating disorders and and, um, something they call muscular dysmorphia, which is like body dysmorphia where you look at yourself in a mirror and think that you're ugly. With muscular uh, dysmorphia, you look at yourself and think you will never look strong enough. You will never have muscles that are are big enough and and Your guns will never measure up. Exactly. Um, And that, that distortion that tells you you will never measure up to these criteria and to have that behind what he's working with and the position that he's coming from makes his his personal struggle and how he gets through it that much stronger where'd you get this mexico it's not that bad it's not that bad i ought to knock you up myself you know how many times i had to carry your father up these stairs because he couldn't walk Is that what you want? No, you want brain damage. Yeah, you do. You want to be so brain damaged you can't form a sentence. I can get hurt doing anything. Apollo didn't get hurt, he got killed. People get killed. I didn't take you in for you to go backwards. You're better than this. I'm leaving soon. I'm going to be fighting full time now. So I want to tell you face to face. You are your father's son. And you're part of him. But it doesn't mean you have to be him. Because of his uh, uh, anger through fear, he's also given to hiding. He hides in plain sight. He's a boxer. So it's not like he's like, no, I I don't want... In the way that um, Rocky's son, Robert, doesn't want anything to do with Rocky at all, uh, specifically in... um, Rocky Balboa, and is is made increasingly uncomfortable by the city of Philadelphia heaping expectation upon him uh, and uh, b- because of who his father is. Uh, Adonis boxes. He calls himself Johnson, but he's following in his father's footsteps and Rocky's footsteps are you know intentionally. The uh, beginning fight in Tijuana is this shitty little match that reminds you of Spider Rico at the uh, beginning of the first Rocky. Like you know, Rocky's just turning up to you know to compete, but it's it's just a getting punched match. It's just about getting hit and and getting paid for it. It's effectively just a side job at the same time as his crappy uh, gig as an enforcer. But Adonis's job is a cubicle mouse. He he works. He he fights across the border and then he goes back to L.A. is an office worker and 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 that's what he does with his. Like, he's like a superhero. He he goes and uses his Spider-Man identity to go and fight. You know that when we meet him at the beginning of the film, he's already gotten to the point where he can't hide that anymore. And clearly, it's been weighing on him. And and if you check the age, he's nearly thirty. He might, in fact, be turning 30 within this film. Apollo died in 1985, and this takes place in 2015, which means when we meet him in 1998, he's 13 years old, or just under. And at the age of 30, a man starts to really ask, who the hell am I? That's when you start wanting to grow a beard, because you want to be taken seriously. (laughs) It's there, the hiding is there in the names as well. He's Adonis. Yeah. 
but people who love him mostly seem to call him Donny. Yeah. And Bianca calls him D, and there's a couple of times I think he calls her B, and there seems to be this sense of using those abbreviations. It's a way for her, and by extension for him, to distinguish between this is the stage persona, this is the one everybody knows, Mm -hmm. this is me, and the me is fairly anonymous. B and D could be anybody. Yeah. There's a little glimpse of who he uh, really feels like when he's, he goes back to uh, Mary Ann's house and, and watches Apollo, well, a clip from Rocky Two on the, uh, I think it's Rocky Two. It's, it's, it's yes. one of the two fights. Yeah. And that specifically is the fight where Rocky finally won. But he doesn't take the place of uh, uh, Apollo during that fight. He stands in front of the projection screen and takes Rocky's place fighting his father. So this is a guy who is afraid of the name Creed because of all the pressure and expectation it will heap upon him. And yet he wrestles with the idea of wanting to declare it to the world. That's who he feels he is. He feels he he hasn't earned it, but at the same time, he's got pride developing. And that's the next uh, thing we can, can talk about because all of this anger and fear and hiding has led to... This, this burning secret pride that he's been building up inside, which itself has positive and negative aspects to it. Mm. There's a fight involved in that in and of itself because he's looking at this man who achieved so much and yet also did things that were shameful. Yeah, Adonis is trying to find a way to walk that line between being proud enough of his father to want to follow in his footsteps but recognise that he made enough mistakes that he doesn't want to follow in his footsteps exactly. Which is, again, why he doesn't take uh, Apollo's place when he's uh, uh, on the projection. He doesn't feel he has either earned or defeated that man. Mm. Yeah, but he's deliberately sought out to be trained by a man who was trained by his father, so would have had the, uh, similar techniques and uh, a similar approach to if Apollo had been able to train him himself, but who ultimately beat his father, hmm. which is something that he's, you know, even from just an Oedipal sense, he's Wants going to, to have to internally Because defeat. he's astonishingly angry at him. Indeed. And something that struck me, actually, when he's in the restaurant and he's asking Rocky about the third fight, the... the behind closed doors fights Mm -hmm. he asks who won and rocky tells him apollo won we will never know if that's true that's what i wrote down as well it Mm -hmm. it, it almost doesn't matter who won because rocky was never going to say it was me yeah absolutely he couldn't let the kid down Mm. it's kind of like uh, it's it's kind of like schrodinger's fight it would only (laughs) only it's 100 percent positive apollo every time yeah (laughs) Um, the other thing that I think the film makes very clear is that Donnie, and he still has to very much earn this and prove this, but he's he's got a sense of his own worth as a fighter, and he has he does have pride in, if not his training, then his um, his instincts and his 
his potential because we see him even in that first fight, like the guy is barely on the ground before he starts taking off the glove. He knows that he's won. There, there are times where the movie makes it very clear that like, he knows this fight is over. The, the other one where, you know, he starts off really kind of getting hammered is the fight with Leo in the middle. That's all that beautiful one take. Mm. But then he kind of just turns this small corner and it is very definitively done. So he, he does know like, he knows I've got something in me. I have, there are things that I can do and I can do very well, but I haven't been able to shape them properly yet. I haven't been able to channel them properly yet. Um, so I think that's a very important, like conflicted sort of pride that he has in himself, especially since the whole thing about names having power over him means that he's not sure if he's allowed to feel proud of himself, given that he might be, as he says, a mistake. If you go back and look at uh, the way Carl Weathers plays Apollo Creed, uh, they're, they're very clearly modeling him on uh, Muhammad Ali, but... Ali was had this amazing swagger and this uh, uh, amazing ability, but it feels like with Apollo, his ability is ever so slightly outstripped by his swagger, and it's almost uh, as if it's a version of Ali we never really got to see who got too proud and who got who overstepped the mark and who overstepped his bearing. If you actually look at the way that Apollo acts and reacts, it, compare the uh, press conference in Rocky Four. Uh, with the press conference and this, they both end in them getting very uh, uh, aggressive with each other. But in Rocky IV, Apollo is really unreasonable. Like, they, they settle down and, and it's like, well, the, you know, maybe Ivan Drago will beat him. He's like, whoa, 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 hold on there. In our country, Apollo Creed is well known and very respected. It could be a good victory. Whoa, whoa. Wait, wait, wait a minute now, wait a minute. Oh. When? You don't really think you're going to whip me. I didn't come here to lose. Well, you hold on, little lady. You hold on. Because lose and lose royally, he's going to do. How can you be so sure? Well, I've been with the best. And I beat the best. I've retired more men than Social Security. (laughs) Excuse me. On a side note, watching Rocky Four now, for decades it's been like, man, Russia comes off quite well in this movie. You know, they're cold, but there's a sort of respect shown to them. And Americans look like colossal pricks. Now it's like that Russia is dead and gone. Any sense of honor we might have attributed to an entire people is tarnished with real-world disrepute. This is supposed to be a friendly match, and like he's getting really angry at the very idea he might be beaten. Mm. Whereas with Adonis, it seems to be very much rooted in, so what are you going to do about the fact that you are your father's son? And every single goading in this regard is enough to get his blood up. Mm. But I think the difference in terms of how Apollo behaves in the, the later Rocky movies, without wanting to go into that in too much detail, is that he is playing it up. He has become very theatrical by yeah. that point. It's not about what he can actually do and what he thinks he deserves. It's just about making a show. But this pride is something that uh, Adonis has to absolutely overcome and I don't know whether that's going to turn up in Creed 2 and I don't want to even mention it but pride killed Apollo and it does manifest in uh, Adonis in a negative way here insofar as he rejects the sage-like guidance of his trainer he rejects who by the way is Duke Jr like if you if you're a Rocky fan then uh, Duke who's the is Apollo's friend the whole way uh, way through so he rejects Duke Jr at the beginning what you doing here man 15 and 0? 15 knockouts. In Tijuana? Nah, bruh. That's a barroom brawling. Yeah, well, I'm all in anyway. So I figured we start out local just to get our momentum going, then we can move wherever we want to move. We? 
Yeah, I was picking you down. These boys come in here. This is how they survive. They got to fight for life. Kill or be killed. People die in there. Your daddy died in the ring. This ain't no joke. I don't know him. I ain't got nothing to do with me. Oh, okay. You real tough now. Yup. Nah, I ain't training you. You know I ain't training. Ain't nobody training you. I'm gonna make sure about that. Rejects his mother's counsel, and eventually he rejects Rocky's counsel. Mm. So to be able to overcome his father's pride, he has to take on board a certain amount of maturity and take the advice of people who care about him. Or if not take it, at least consider it. Finding that balance between pride in what you have achieved on your own and the humility of recognising that you can't continue to do everything on your own if you want to improve. He's come as far as he can on his own at this point. If he wants to be better, if he wants to polish that skill and improve where he stands, then he needs other people to lift him up and support him. And this is kind of what I meant about the whole, you you can look back and forwards at the same time and it'll tear you in half. Or you can accept that lift that you get from what's behind you and the people who came before you if you will accept that help. And that's where his journey ultimately takes him. Is he's Deep down, he knows that's what he wants. He's looking for Rocky to give him that support. I think that's one of the reasons why he reacts the way he does when he finds out that Rocky is, in his eyes, giving up. He's, he's a young man. He doesn't look at this through the perspective of somebody who's lost almost everything. He can't. He literally can't see it that way. And therefore, he gets to bring that pride and fight that a young man has that, honestly, Rocky had lost in the first film. Mm. He's not a young guy in the first film. Part of the point of it is that he may be a little bit past it. He might have missed his window. Yeah. Donnie brings that to him and therefore it makes the relationship between them not simply one of, you know, handing the torch and you go forward now, I'm I'm giving you my legacy to carry on. To give him the fight. They give ups. each other. It is exemplary of the push-pull of the old and the young. The the young have the fire and the drive and the push and the forward momentum and the old have the discretion and the ability to step back and look at a situation and take it slowly. It's like the two bulls. The younger says, let's run down to the bottom of the field and fuck one of those cows. And the (laughs) older says, no, let's walk down and fuck all of them. It's it's disgusting, but it's an accurate model of the up and downs of each end of the spectrum. I think it's uh, notable that the way that he reacts to all of the the people who are placed as the older voices of reason, it always tips just when they get to the point past giving sound advice and into doing something that he feels is an abandonment. I I don't want to go into the the abandonment theme too early, but the, the thing where, you know, little Duke, you know, does warn him that, yeah, your dad died in the ring. That's important. And he says, no, I'm not going to train you. No one's going to train you. You're on your own. Marianne says, you know, I don't want you to become a boxer. And if you're going to do that, don't call me. You're on your own. Rocky says, hey, look, I'm just your trainer. We were never family. You're on your own. Like that's those are always those tipping points because that's part of his greatest fear is once you get to that, that's when he starts really lashing out at those people and becoming unreasonable. 
And this is all in service of making his name and legacy. And there is, uh, like I said, the, the, the name Creed terrifies him because of everything it brings with it. And it's important to note that Apollo Creed meant a huge amount to uh, specifically a generation of color in the world of the film, but also in the real world. So there's this dual r- shoes that are being stepped into here by both actor and character. Michael B. Jordan's having to take two roles here. He's having to pick up Rocky's torch. He's also having to pick up Apollo's. Mm. Yeah, and Apollo as well came to the Rocky series successful and rich and having achieved so much already. We don't see Apollo's build up from wherever he started. Yeah. And the thing that they they do to make this film like feel so much bigger than just the the window that you get into it is you you see everyone like reacting to Rocky as you know they call him champ and they call him this and they call him that and he's like you know he's like definitely like Philly's favorite son but everyone just kind of accepts and Rocky reinforces like Apollo was not just great he was the greatest of all time like yeah you know I I had a good shot and I beat him one time but Apollo was the greatest like Rocky was champ for a bit but like that was a single moment in time. And he says, like, the only reason I was able to do that was because time took him out. Time is undefeated. And so that just gives him that much more weight on his shoulders. There was literally a Muhammad Ali documentary made called The Greatest. This is the parallel that we're drawing from from our world. And time is our next discussion point. The one part that really stood out for me regarding time, what Rocky said just there about time being uncontested, that slowly, eventually, you're going to be taken down by the weight of years. But Bianca's hearing condition, being degenerative, sharply holds us in the realm of two characters, both of whom are professionals, hugely talented, she and Adonis, and they have very much borrowed time on this. They have a a few years to be able to do what they can. She's preparing to become entirely deaf. And she's flip about it, but it's clearly something that scares the living shit out of her. And Tessa Thompson, I I don't even want to say Tessa Thompson's great in this film. Everyone's great in this film. Tessa Thompson's great in this film. I got progressive hearing loss. Just started wearing these the past year. But I only need them in place of a lot of background noise. For now. So it's progressive, so eventually... Yeah. Yeah. I'm just getting ready for it. Like, I'm getting used to these. I'm learning sign language and stuff. You don't really seem like a boxer to me. I mean, you're, you're in shape and all, but... I don't know. Our most boxes like, like what? Like street. I'm not saying you're square or anything, but I'm just curious. Like, what made you want to fight? My pop was a fighter. All right, that makes sense. Did he fight pro? Something like that. Does he train you? My pop died before I was born. I'm sorry to hear that. So, what made you want to sing? Um, it makes me feel alive. Where's your next show? That place that you saw me at, Johnny Brenda's. I got a residency there, so we're back on Friday. Can I roll with you? Don't want to show up, you know? Show some love. Let me think on it. Any sportsman, the moment they start, 
they're bleeding away slowly, that, that every injury they take intensifies the level of fight they're going to have to put up, the, the amount of extra effort that's going to have to go into it. They're going to eventually reach a point where all they're doing is hurting themselves. In Rocky, it was Rocky Five where it just became too much and he had to check out, which is what makes Balboa, with that still got a little fire left in the basement, love that line, um, makes it so poignant because there's just this little bit left over and he's still got a little bit left over each time and that plays into one step at a time one move at a time which is something that rocky lays down in this film because we're being presented with time as something finite as something that our characters are very sharply aware of this film is about the now it's about what to do now. So when every single big decision that has to be made, it's, it's, it's about like not necessarily thinking of the future or the past and getting caught up in it, but what are you going to do right now? And that's very sharp in this film. That's one of the reasons why I find it incredibly impressive when they have those moments where characters say things to each other which are honest and sometimes hurtful, and then they are willing to move away from each other and give it time. Because it's very easy, especially in a film, to want things to be solved straight <clears throat> away. And if they're not going to be solved straight away, then have a big conflict that at least results in a, a decision straight away, even if it's a negative decision. But there are probably half a dozen moments in this, mostly involving uh, Donnie and Bianca, but with, with other people as well, with Marianne, or the, and actually the period of time that he and Marianne are apart, thinking about what's gone on between them is even longer. There's a moment when they're talking about Rocky and the potential for him to have treatment, which he doesn't want to do, and they fight and then they walk away from each other and they give it time. They let those words sink in, they think about it and then they come back to it and address it again. And that's that could, in a lesser director's hands feel badly paced but it doesn't it feels very natural it feels very real because that's how how real life works you don't get everything resolved in 45 minutes and have it all nicely tied up in time for the movie's climax you are still going to be thinking about these things and puzzling over them in a few weeks time or a few months time or a few years time and one of the things that to because i think you really bring up that point um especially um importantly right now when we're talking about rocky and and uh donnie is we sort of see that character work through those things one time and are able to sort of, okay, that is how this happens for all those other instances in the movie. And it's when Rocky initially says to Donnie, no, I'm not going to train you. And Donnie kind of accepts that, okay. But what we then see is we get a little bit of Rocky's routine and we see him go to the cemetery and we see him talk to Polly and to Adrian and we don't see him tell them about this kid who just showed up out of nowhere because like a lesser director would absolutely have him talking to his dead wife and dead best friend about this this dilemma that he's having but while he's talking to them about nothing the movie shows you very specifically that he's thinking about everything and then he just like he closes the paper and he goes to mix gym and so we get to see one character go through that process of like just sitting on this and ruminating on it and like and then we can apply that to everyone else because that's just how people are. And that's always been how people work 
in Rocky movies when it was at its best. I love that moment particularly because uh, we now know Rocky well enough, having seen the other films, to know that when he pauses, he knows what he's going to do. Like, he wasn't entirely sure until that moment, and now he just has to go and do it. He knows that he's going to support this kid. And that it's, it's, it's wonderful to sort of see that conflict just sort of suddenly, quietly, in a dignified fashion, resolve itself. Rocky draws his motivation from Adonis. It's, it's what allows him to keep going. And there's a very specific moment when um, Bianca finds out that Adonis is, is a creed, uh, that she walks off and, and, and he's like, you know, I was going to tell you. And it feels like one of those like moments in a, a romantic comedy where the, the drama happens and the, the person who feels betrayed uh, admonishes the other one. But it, it, it's not a full stop here. It's more of a sort of a, an obstacle they have to overcome together. Maybe you're just motivation to me too. Bianca and uh, Adonis have hard challenges ahead of them and they use one another as motivation. One of the, uh, I suppose, ever so like shortcomings of the original Rocky films is that Adrian had one, like after the first film, Adrian had one thing and that was being Rocky's wife and then being the mother of his child. There was nothing else that Adrian specifically had going on for her. So it was all always a question of what do I say to Rocky when he needs support? What do I say to Rocky when I don't want him to fight? And that was the perpetuated drama throughout their relationship, uh, which leaves a great absence in Rocky Balboa. And it was a very good decision to leave her out of that one because it changes the game. But in this, Bianca has her own stuff going on. She's a fantastic singer. The way that she moves with the beat, it's like she's feeling the vibrations and embracing them as much as possible while she can to transition her to a world without sound. I might try to run But just to make you follow I like it when you Grip 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 Me Got you right where I want I can see it all And I think she's not just being flipped when she says your motivation to me, too. I think there's very real truth in that. And it partly comes from the fact that she's one of the few people that doesn't warn Donnie about fighting because it's going to get him hurt. Because what she's doing, and again, I love that Cooler doesn't make a meal out of this, but the loudness, like the level of volume she's playing her music at, which she has to in order to still be able to like feel it and process it, is got to be at least minimally making her progressive hearing loss worse. It's already progressive. We already know it's bad, but they are both in a way hurting themselves to do what they have to do. And they both understand that and they both never question. And that's one of the most, one of the most poignant parts of their relationship. And I think it's part of why they both end up, you know, reconciling so wholly at the end is because they both know that this is something that we have to do even though it's going to hurt us and that's that's what a relationship is once you find that person you have to be in that relationship in order to feel whole even though you're going to hurt each other i think the point where she says they're, they're discussing why she sings i think he asks her why she she does it and she says singing makes her feel alive 
and it's never stated explicitly, but I think she seems to understand that fighting is the same thing for him. And although we don't know in this if we haven't seen the earlier movies, that's what it was for Apollo as well. That was what kept him going past the point where he should have been fighting because when boxing was taken away from him, he didn't feel alive anymore. And motivation uh, keys in with keeping moving forward, which is the very famous... um, It's not about how hard you can hit, it's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. Uh, They both need to keep moving forward and they use each other as motivation. Effectively, every day her hearing gets worse, Bianca is being hit harder they need to draw strength from one another and there's that there's always been that sense of companionship being the fuel mm. in this series yeah and i think you're right because she has that sense of loss on her own part before she even met him she can understand what that loss would feel like for him and eventually the two of them will have to find other things to motivate them other other ways to move forward. I think she's probably got the best uh, the best odds for that because, as you say, she's using the volume, she's using the vibrations. There's a lot of bass in her music and that I don't think is, is accidental. It allows her to continue to feel the music and will let her continue to feel it long past the point where she can hear it anymore. And it's actually her singing uh, in that, those pieces and mm. The lady is multi-talented. I do think it's very important that we stress how they're they're pulling each other along because the the way that Rocky's speech, you know, and the person who is hitting you, that's you. You're the one who's hitting yourself harder and harder and you just have to keep moving forward. And that's why Bianca needs Donnie and that's why he needs her because they're they're beating themselves up. And the only way they're going to keep moving forward is if they've got someone else reaching out their hand. And they there's that element of you get in your own way as well. You are the greatest obstacle to yourself moving forward. And the point where they have their main argument when he's done the ego drop thing and beaten up somebody at the club she's trying to get a a, a gig at and made her feel stupid around her peers, which is not on. It's, It's not that it's okay that he does that, but it seems that she is minimizing herself to be around those people because that guy acts like a complete jerk and I doubt very much that she likes the fact that she has to hang around with people like that in order to make it in this business that was that tone trump playing himself yeah. and it's like, like you do realize that you come off as a complete cock in this moment mm, absolutely so that was either a very charitable of him or excellent method acting yeah But it may well be that Donnie's pridefulness gives her a little bit of motivation to apply a little bit of that, to not let other people push her around either. We don't see that because it's not her story. That's my little Bianca fanfic going on in the background. (laughs) 
The terrifying uh, end and antithesis to the forward momentum is the fear of pain and the sense of giving up that Rocky uh, ultimately encounters when he's told he has cancer. It's it doesn't come from nowhere, and that is immediately exemplified. He, when you see his face, like he, she, the the doctor starts talking about lymph nodes, and he's confused. The moment she says cancer, again, he's decided immediately. He's decided he's not going to fight this, uh, and there's a dr- a dreadful pain in seeing how decisive he is there because it speaks of something he's gone through with Adrian and we can only imagine because it was not part of the films and it's so that that is something very human very real too real for most films and one of the most painful things imaginable and it there is no judgment on him I don't think from the film for giving up and for deciding that's not for me it's understandable when people don't want to go through that uh, it's not saying you know he's a coward for not fighting even though Adonis shouts that at him it is quite literally the the, the thing that we fear most of us the most mm. I think it goes beyond the fear of pain as well I think it's the fear of helplessness because there's an echo of that through the film it starts when Marianne is telling Donnie about what she used to have to do for his father when he, after a fight, couldn't use his hands, she had to wipe his ass for him. Sometimes it's not necessarily a choice that you feel like you're making, even though your your body's kind of making that choice for you. And I think Rocky sort of giving voice to that helps him make a different choice, um, especially once he sees how that's going to impact people. Like, that's more or less what happened to like um you know a couple people that i know is like i i've been in that kind of like purgatory between hospital rooms and up and down stairwells of like just trying to deal with this person and their illness and it's you know someone gets to a point where they feel like they don't have another choice to make i don't think that the movie goes out of its way to say that rocky has got depression but you very much feel like he is in a depressed moment of his life, even though there are things that he does have going on that are good. And I, you know, I feel like the movie going to those lengths to show just how raw the nerve is that that touches in Donnie sort of really snaps him back into that. Um, I also feel like it's, it's a very important moment for Donnie because Rocky is, when he's saying what we had was just in our heads... Donnie's never had any other kind of family but the kind of family he's been able to create. Marianne's not related to him by blood. Bianca and he haven't actually said vows yet. Rocky is not his actual uncle, but he he holds on to these connections because they're the only other family he's been able to create. And Rocky saying that doesn't mean anything is probably the biggest hurt that he's felt since realizing he had a father who died and he was never able to know him. Rocky sees that. And Rocky being able to see those things and and recognize those, it very much does alter the course of his, you know, okay, well, maybe maybe I do have something here going on that's worth, like, maybe there's something here that I wouldn't put in that bowl to get one more day with my wife. Mm. I think the fact that Donnie is able to reflect back at him what he's said to Donnie 
is important as well. One of the first things he said to him is, it's always about choice. You always have a choice about whether you you get up and keep moving. And that comes back to him in a way that I think I think you're onto something about the the being in a depressed point in his life, Brendan. I think it's more about grief. And he's lost and lost and lost and lost. And one of the things he he kind of implies is that he's reached a point now where he's lost more than he has left. If you think of uh, his whole life has been in a boxing ring, he had, at the beginning of Rocky, very few people in his uh, corner. He had pretty much nobody. Just a pair of turtles. And then over the course of the films, he gets more and more people in his corner. And then throughout the gap between Rocky V and Rocky Balboa, those people start to disappear. In fact, starting with Rocky III with Mickey, those people start to disappear from his corner. And at the beginning of Creed, he has, again, nobody. He's going to this grave, and even that disgusting prick, Paulie, is dead. And it, it, it feels like he, his reasons to keep fighting were those people and so he's giving up and accepting that you know he can leave the ring is extremely understandable it ain't easy for me to be in your corner kid i don't know if you're ready for it i don't know if i'm ready for it but i'll do what you want to do if it was anybody else in my corner i wouldn't do it but i got you what he has to turn around and take in in this film is that he has new people in his corner and that gives him the strength to keep going on it's very very simple but it's powerful elemental stuff but how he's dealt with grief every time in the past has been by getting in the ring and having another fight mm. In a way, I think he's wary of getting in the ring to train Donnie because that's doing what he's always done, partly. In a way, this film slightly shortchanges Rocky Balboa because a lot of that was about reclaiming uh, his connection to his son, uh, Robert, who uh, has now... It feels like throughout that film, Robert starts off uh, not so much ashamed of Rocky, but he's... It's it's massive shadow to live in, and by the end he's fully embraced and, and reaccepted his father, and then we find out he's moved to Canada because Philly got too much for him. So it feels like to to facilitate Adonis becoming that important to Rocky, Robert's progress had to be wound back. Mm. But the flip side of that, I think, as well, is that he says. You know, I get he gets in touch with me from time to time. Yeah, he's not for, entirely estranged. No, he's just for, and for far a parent away. who has minimal contact with their child, or a grandparent who has minimal contact with their grandchildren, <clears throat> nothing's ever going to be enough. Yeah, living around the corner and seeing them every day yeah. is what you want, yeah. and less than that is not enough. But at the same time, he's. That's that's another example of, I think, how Rocky is setting a great example for all the other men in this film and in this life, which is that you you let your child do what's right for them. And fighting was not Robbie's thing. And he had to 
let go of that and go off and find somewhere to be where he wasn't going to be in his father's shadow. In a way, one of the reasons that Donnie and Rocky can have the relationship that they do is because he's not his son. Yeah. It's a reflection of the relationship he has with Tommy Gunn in Rocky V, which is kind of a poisoned version of this, like a, a prototype. He is spending all of his time with this new boxer and leaving, letting his son, who was played at the time by Sage Stallone, uh, Sylvester's son, uh, and, and leaving that relationship to wither. And Tommy turns out to be a colossal prick as well. They end up fighting and he re-embraces uh, his son. By the way, the, uh, the shot of Rocky and Junior in, uh, in the photograph that uh, he shows Adonis is uh, Sage Stallone. Sage Stallone only played Junior in five. It was a different kid in two, three, and four. Uh, but he died in real life after uh, Rocky Balboa. He didn't resume the role for Balboa. It was a, a different actor. And as Ryan Coogler, I would have had real difficulty laying down this premise to Stallone, you know, someone who I was uh, trying not to piss off regarding, you know, I'm not going to mess with your legacy, saying, would it be okay to use this photo of you and your son to represent Rocky's son? And it's it's good of Stallone to... Uh, it's, it's not the only photo in the deleted scenes. He also goes through an album which includes pictures of uh, Adrian, Talia Shah and um, Sage. And there's a genuine tragedy to that which adds real-world poignancy post-hoc to Rocky Balboa. I'm wondering if that's part of why they elected not to have Robert around because during the time between... Between um, Rocky Balba and Creed, you know, Sylvester losing his son. And, like, I, I don't know if if having a character that was played by your kid in a movie would would be something that he would be able to cope with or not. I mean, I, I just have no way of, of knowing that, and I don't want to speak to anyone's feelings on that. But I, I just wonder if that was a deciding factor. Was just, like, look, we don't want to go near that potentially open wound. What if we just have you know robert living his happy life but he's he's found a place where he's comfortable but he can still have the relationship with his father that was hmm. mended in rocky balboa but it's not the central relationship of creed that we're focusing on closest equivalent is uh paul walker in uh, fast and furious they've given the character a suitable uh dignified place to go so if you look at the first prototype son that he can give a legacy to being Tommy Gunn. The second attempt being to really reconcile with uh, Robert in Rocky Balboa and this third attempt is kind of a fusion of those two because Adonis obviously isn't his son but he is his son in terms of what he does. He's uh, he's continuing the the, the legacy of, of, of the boxer and, and it allows also allows Rocky to make good on the greatest regret of his life which is not throwing in the towel in Rocky IV he was told by uh, Apollo if you throw in that towel you and I are done and so you know Duke's yelling throw it you know give up throw in the towel but because Rocky's so stuck on this idea that he has to be true to what Apollo wants he doesn't give up on behalf of Apollo and Drago beats him to death so effectively being able to continue Adonis's training uh, allows him to bring back to the ring the creed that he remembers and make good on it this time 
and actually look out for him as a person with the wisdom of age rather than the uh, foolish mistakes of his youth mm. or and middle age. And also the, the uh, interference of what he would want if he was in that situation, which is, of course, why Apollo asked him to be the one to make the decision in the first place, because he knew Rocky wouldn't want anyone else to give up on his behalf. Mm. So that would come into play on and him allowing Apollo to continue past the point where he should have. That particular conflict is is one of the examples that I really appreciate that Kugler does when he's taking the bones of Rocky the film because this is sort of a, a structural um, re- remake in the same way as The Force Awakens in a lot of ways but Kugler changes a lot of things around where you know you have Mickey and Rocky having that shouting match at each other at the beginning of their relationship in Rocky and here Rocky and Donnie have that falling out uh, that very nearly ends the relationship. You have in Talia Shire, her like standing up for herself as this positive thing against, uh, against Polly. And in Donnie, you know, the big him trying to stand up for himself violently is this toxic thing that happens and hurts his relationship with Bianca instead of like being this, this really molding sort of like clay that really binds Rocky and, and Adrian together. There's all these beats that are sort of, repurposed and their their shadows are are like kind of intermingled and rewoven into what they're doing in creed which is i mean when you get down to it it's still the same fighter has a shot fighter trains for the shot fighter takes the shot but it's still very different in the like sharon said rocky is very near the end of his career and has this one last chance donnie is starting out and is trying to get his first chance and that's just uh, there, there's all these little pieces that sort of get reworked into, okay, I see where that came from, but it's worked in here so well and embedded in the characters so well that it still very much feels like its own thing, even though you could just dismissively say, oh, it's just a remake of Rocky. I think you'd be doing both the film, both both films and yourself a disservice to make that comparison. <clears throat> exactly. Uh, probably like my favorite example of this is the 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 biker honor guard that he leads to Rocky mm. to be like, look at all these people in your corner, which is kind of like Rocky going up the, the steps, you know, except that is a look what I did for me. And with Donnie, it's like, hey, here's look at look at who we are for you. Yeah. It's God, hom- that, that moment. Oh. That's paying homage to uh, uh, somebody that he has uh, even more respect for at that point. By the way, in case this music feels familiar to you, it's Ludwig Göransson who did the music for Black Panther. He would appear to be Ryan Coogler's John Williams, because he also scored Fruitvale Station. These two have pretty much joined at the hip for life now, with Michael B. Jordan making up the trio. And that's fantastic news.
I got to the end of this episode and realised we never actually talked about that one long single take fight and how incredibly accomplished it is as a piece of filmmaking. If you look very carefully you can see that they apply the blood and bruises and reactions with CG which of course they have to because they can't stop. But there is a technical ability here both in filming the fights in a close-up intense fashion and for Michael B. Jordan to go up against actual sportsmen and convince us that he's not only a boxer but a potential world heavyweight champ. There you go. You're good. You're good. good. You're good. All right. Now let's go to work. Up there. Yep. Yeah. Go ahead. We'll talk. Right. Look here. Let me hear. One step at a time, one punch at a time, one round at a time, one step at a time, one punch at a time, one round at a time. Get it right. Come on, let's go. Fan, pop it fan. Boom! Boom! Bah! Good. I want you to let it all out. Hey, everyone's ever disrespected. You see them. Anything you ever want. Go after it. Bah! Now's your time. Make a statement. Watch it! Watch it! Living with abandonment is uh, the next theme, and this uh, all stems from the the earliest ones we were talking about the the absence of the father. Um, Adonis was on a very bitter path for the first 13 years of his life, uh, the, the constant getting into fights. This was interrupted by Marianne taking him in, which has given him kind of a, a, a life of two halves. But that formative period has very much informed on how he comports himself. It doesn't matter how civilized she made him, he's still, in effect, this wild animal having to keep the, his uh, temper under control. And he does it very well, considering the anger over the abandonment is the biggest thing he has to get, uh, to get over. And it's the thing he's fighting at the end when he finally goes up against Conlon. If you look at that from a, a neurological perspective as well, the fact that he spent the early part of his life, I mean, we don't know at what age he started bouncing around in foster care and, and um, child prison. The lifestyle that that's given him is a foundation of living in fight or flight mode yeah and that builds into the brain an inability to get out of fight or flight mode there's a relationship here with eric killmonger yes yeah this is very much the version of Eric uh, of Eric that you might see if someone had nurturing had found him. Like Eric is what happens if Marianne never goes to that group home or detention center yeah. and never and never finds him, and he never has that kind of nurturing. And it's the state that takes care of him until the state turns him into a weapon. Mm, yeah. Or keeping it on the boxing theme, he ends up going to Philadelphia and saying, "I'm fighting Rocky." Mm. <laughs> Great, you're going to beat up an old man. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, he might want to exact revenge on Rocky, like focusing on, because he can't fight Apollo, he can fight the man who, in his eyes, killed Apollo by not throwing in the towel. Mm. 
And I like that they only have him use that as a weapon when he's at his most, you know, most down. Like normally he doesn't doesn't see Rocky as that. He sees him as like this this potential like like this potential like positive thing. And it's only after he's been hurt that he feels like he has to try and lash out to hurt him. And and it kind of shows you how both Rocky and Donnie deal with abandonment where Donnie gets so angry about it. Rocky is just sort of resigned to it at this point. You have all these these bits where you you see the empty holes in his life that there's only one turtle left in the in the turtle box aquarium. You know, he's got his people are in the cemetery rather than in his home. He's trying to do it with grace, but he's just kind of resigned himself to that sort of people people leaving his corner whereas like Donnie is it, it's it's just this thing that really just infuriates him and mm. And, and I love the way that Kugler just shows you images where the thing that isn't there makes you feel so empty. Just the, the montage where he's doing the speed bag and there's that empty hanging speed bag right there that Rocky's not at. And you're like, no, he should be there. It feels wrong that he's not there. And again, as you said before, Brendan, about the the triggers for those angry reactions and those moments when Donnie is very obviously at his lowest point come when he's been reminded of his abandonment and again when when you've had a childhood and especially a very early childhood that is the key thing about it is that you feel threatened and there is no parent to protect you or the parent that should protect you doesn't do it and in the worst cases is the one who is hurting you you carry that forward in life that feeling of there's there's no one here for me and that that feeling of abandonment takes you back to being that little child who potentially could die as a result of that abandonment and that brings all of that fight or flight back to the front again and it's the lashing out and the fury that you can't control because something deep inside your brain says if you are abandoned you will die i know a lot of cops and they said your friends locked up friends just a trainer to me right I'm sorry about what I said to you I'm back at the gym. It was just me talking. I didn't mean it. Well, you need to stay away from me. Listen, don't touch me. One, one, Get one. your hands off me, old man. Get your sick ass out of here. Leave. You ain't talking like you my family. You got my real family killed. I ain't leaving till I tell you what's on my mind. You hate me. That's what it is. Or maybe a man with somebody who ain't here, Donnie, who can't defend himself. You know? I understand what you're going through, young man. I swear, I've been there. And I know what it's like to be abandoned to be mad at everything. And you're a better person than that. Forgive him. Because there's nothing you can do about it. And it's taking a toll on you. You're still caught in the shadow. Gotta move, Tony. And the uh, answer to all of this, the way he can move forwards, uh, is forgiveness. Um, in order to overcome his anger and to become his own person, because this is all about something called self-actualization, which we talk about a lot on the show in, in one form or another, to, to be able to move past the shit of, of, of the past and to actually become... I don't want to say become a man because there's so much loaded into that sentence. To to become an adult, to become mature, to know yourself, and to do that, he has to forgive his father. And that comes 
when Rocky says uh, that um, Apollo is dead and thus defenseless, he's angry at and wanting to fight someone who can't fight back, which will always lead to him punching himself. And when his forgiveness comes, it's in the form of humility. Both Adonis and Conlon need humility. They need to feel it in order to grow as men and as pugilists. Now, Conlon's a very basic guy, but uh, he doesn't respect his opponents. Uh, it, it's it's clear. He, he starts fights with them. He's about to go to jail. For, does it ever establish what he did? Uh, possession of a firearm, I think. Right, okay. Yeah. Um, well, it's, You're the it, one who was waving a gun about. <laughs> it's It's clear he's not self-disciplined enough to actually embody uh, a, a healthy respect for others. He's got he's burning with anger himself and resentment. And it seems like what he wants is to just win this fight, but clearly what he needs is to learn to respect another fighter. And he needs that, and he needs to be seen to feel that by everyone else. So much of the end is tied up in what everyone else sees in you and what you see in yourself. They they didn't have to do this with Conlon, but I really feel like Kugler is making a point that Conlon wants to feel like his final fight is earned, like he's he's yeah. never been knocked down, and you know, of course, he's a he's a prideful sob, but he the reason that he's so distasteful about initially the the creed fight is like no this is there's there's no way that this is going to be a challenge you know i don't you know i don't think that you know the, a, an easy victory is not a respected victory but he he needs to get his ass knocked down like yeah. he does need to respect his opponents and that i mean he doesn't like he's not a deep character necessarily but having that sort of like having to work for it is going to you know, make that victory matter because it's like if the movie goes to great, like say that that's probably going to be his last boxing match. So it's got to be one that matters. And Donnie makes it matter for him. Because if he's in jail, that's all of his, the, the, the prime of his career elapsing and he's on the inside, which again is something that like, this film repeatedly feels relevant to modern audiences. So the fight for Conlon has to be difficult. It has to be a challenge. And for that, he has to recognize that it being difficult is a good thing. And for that, he has to respect the person punching him. And for Adonis, he has to put the Creed name in perspective. Uh, I never noticed until this most recent viewing and actually watching the uh, uh, deleted scenes. I don't know if it's actually the case in the in the film. He has Creed written on the front of his shorts and Johnson written on the back of his shorts. He has both names. He is billed as Creed Johnson in the uh, deleted scene. They don't make so much of a big deal of it in the uh, in, in the film, but he becomes Creed on his own terms. He is. It's like he's got the the Creed name is very much, uh, and this is Kugler again working with imagery. Creed is what he's striving toward, and Johnson is what he is, what he has behind supporting him. Yeah. What matters is what you leave in that ring, and what you take back with you. You know what that is? Pride, and knowing that you did your best, and you're doing it for yourself, not for me, not your father's memory, but for you. I can see in your eyes. You're going to do it. Sharon, you uh, put for this last uh, bullet point, sport as battle as opposed to battle as sport. Yeah, following on from what you were saying there about Conlon and his need to have a fight 
with an opponent that he can respect. And there's there's occasions through this where they're referred to as by the commentators as warriors. And it kind of made me think about what we were discussing earlier with the Call of Duty video games Mm -hmm. and the fact that they seem to be moving towards more of a sports game format. A war film being about battle is fine. A war film being portrayed as more of a sport, I have difficulty with. When people are fighting and it's it's portrayed as this is fun or at least it's neutral and it's it's you're using actual killing and death as point scoring as point scoring and in a, in a way that's meant to be exciting and for the benefit of spectators it becomes it's not quite meaningless but it's not you're not thinking about the 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 death and the injury that occurs as part of it but sport as a battle is it's moving that metaphor in the right direction, if that makes sense. You're, you're taking a, uh, a portrayal of a representation of fighting. And the thing that makes it feel that way is the fact that Conlon comes to him at the end and has that respect for him and claps him on the back and says, well done, and reminds us all that this is a, an in-ring competition. This was not a feud to the death between two men who were, who were literally trying to kill each other. It reiterates that feeling that this is a, a way of proving something to yourself in a safe environment. Which I think is underlined very well by how at first he's like, you know, you're a false creed. There's, you know, you don't have any place here. Um, but at the end, again, it's it's very, you know, it's not complicated, but it's like, hey, you know, yeah, you you, are, you wear those shorts with pride. You're the future of this division. Um, the fact that they've, they've both gotten that, you know, they are, I mean, Donnie already had respect for Collins, um, Frosty as a boxer, but you know, getting getting that touch of respect for them as a person, I think, is an important note that sometimes you don't get in Rocky when it's just like, you know, the opponent is just the Terminator that I have to punch. But in the best of the Rocky films, it's like this is a person with their own baggage that I need to get out of my way.
down his anger and allowing for a bittersweet reckoning with the ghost of his father, the that's the humility. That's the um, when he's asked, "What would you say to your father?" Everything that comes out of his mouth uh, it comes from a place of humility, and he's sad, which is a really good way of dissipating anger. Obviously, this is an emotion that I, I've had overriding uh, throughout my life and, and, and dealt with myself, and uh, I'm still dealing with it. And I think I'm actually at a place right now where uh, when I see stuff with father figures in, in films, um, it doesn't make me angry at my own so much as it makes me sad that I didn't have a different father. And I think that's somewhat healthier than constantly being bitter and angry and furious at uh, events that you can't change at a person specifically that you can't change mm. it's it's not as good as being at peace obviously but it's it's on the road and very specifically in creed Putting the name in perspective means that the name no longer scares him. Well, instead of conjuring, because names have names have power, um, instead of conjuring like this ghost that may or may not disapprove of him or may never have wanted him, like it, it's this this thing that's that he can just accept. It's a part of his past that still has warmth attached to it because you know it is part of his home it's literally like his house and it is part of his family with Marianne and so he's finally able to feel at home with those elements um he doesn't you know he doesn't make any demands when he asks you know what would you say to your father it's not questions or demands that that Donnie brings up you know would you did you can you it's all like I know and I feel and I love it's a it's a very sort of I mean, you, it's such. It's a, not a boast. It's not step. a challenge. It's not uh, you know, trying still to prove himself, or... and it's not conflictive at all. Yeah. Any other bits of uh, uh, Creed that we missed that uh, just were really nice moments that uh, you know just didn't quite happen to fit in with uh, what we've been talking about? Uh, there were two things that I wanted to mention specifically. The first is that there are two mantras throughout this film that are repeated and I think kind of sum up the the themes of the film overall. And those are the one step, one step, one punch, one round at a time. And Donnie echoes that when Rocky's going up the stairs at the end, one step at a time. And you got this, which kind of feels like the mantra for the current generation. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to the, you know, one of the other great, um, well, creeds that, that like cinema has gifted us um, recently in franchise film is like there you know you don't get to choose the time that things happen and you just get to choose that what you do with your time mm. one of the other things that i really appreciate about this is i mean you can you can talk about how this is part of a different series but it feels so much like its own thing in the way that ryan coogler shoots philadelphia it would be so easy for him to shoot philly 
like you would shoot it in Rocky back in 1970-something or 1980-something. And with the current nostalgia boom, like, that would be, especially since he watched these as a kid with his dad, like, that would be so, so tempting. But he makes Philly feel modern and alive and vibrant and of the moment, and he just holds back a couple things just to deploy at the right time that would remind you this is the legacy of the series where, you know, he'll, he holds back the stairs until the very, very end of the film. And the other two, like, cannons that he loads are the Rocky and Adrian theme that he plays right after Rocky finds out he has cancer. Um, like, just this really soft, you know, rendition of that in the background that he and Ludwig Granson put there. And then Gonna Fly Now which only happens once because, uh, I mean, you've got um, Fighting Stronger, which is beautiful on its own, but he knows just when to deploy the Rocky theme, and he puts it right there at the beginning of the final round. In the same way as with the trailer, it allows Creed to stand on its own and then allows just a little bit of revelry in the be- it being a Rocky film. Mm-hmm. Exa- yeah, exactly as you're saying, Brendan. Like at this point, the film has earned that piece of music. And also, when you when you deploy nostalgia as a director, if you overuse it and you use it in the wrong places, what you're effectively saying is, "I want the audience that this has always had." Yeah. When you use it very sparingly, what you're saying is, "This is for a new audience," and it would undermine the essence of the torch being passed which this is all about if he'd overemphasized that feeling of this is philly in the 70s this is philly in the 80s um so i think that the the way he chose to do that was absolutely perfect and the other thing that i wanted to mention as well and this again speaks to it being put together uh, with a modern eye and it's more of a technical thing than anything else, which is why it didn't fit in with any of the, the themed elements, is the, the use of multimedia to tell the story. I'm starting to notice this more and more in films that are coming out currently, where directors are confident that they can use other types of screen than the cinema screen to tell their story. And this has... it's It's fairly minor compared to others but you have things like um the stack cards that pop up when he meets the other fighters which without them having to have any expositionary background tells you immediately what he's putting himself up against in those initial sparring matches you've got the fact that he looks up his dad's old fights on youtube the hbo trailer spots for the... Yeah, the promo the, for uh, yeah, the Conlon, promo spots for which the feels very authentic, even Absolutely. down to the, like, like shots of got, him standing holding a football. That's right. And then even the during the fight at the end, it occasionally cuts to how people watching this on TV would see it so that they can give you a timer and a, and a round count mm. without anybody having to say anything. Like a heads-up display sheet. Precisely. And it feels... It's all incorporated so well mm. that it, it sells it immediately. But again, that is for an audience who are used to multimedia, who are used to taking in their stories on many different platforms, 
often simultaneously. And he gives a double nod to that when uh, Adonis takes the notes Rocky's given to him, photographs them, and then starts to move off. And Rocky's like, oh, you're going to take this? And <laughs> the reaction's perfect for both young and old, because the young are being like, no, no, he's just taking a photo. And the older will be like, oh, so it's in the cloud? And then he looks up. I think even like the elderly will be like, I know what the cloud is, <laughs> you hippity-hop youngsters with your boom boxes. The lyrics, they were so hateful. Homework's whack, and so are rules. Tuck it in your shirts for fools. No! The note I've got here is confusing the old man with his cloud talk. Yeah. But like I said, that, that works on both levels for both age groups. And most, most you know, older people would know, but but Rocky wouldn't. I mean, let's be real. This this is Rocky. I mm. mean, he would totally say something as doofy as a, well, what cloud? Because, I mean, it's, it's Rocky. Come he on. was analogue and a little past it in the 70s. Yeah. Yeah. Indeed. It, also, as well, the chickens mm-hmm. are a bit of that too, because he sets Donnie to chase the chickens, slower. assuming that it's going gonna, it's gonna to take him ages, and he grabs one almost immediately. Because he's more cunning than Rocky was as a fighter. Yeah. It's kind of an unexpectedly funny movie. The The moment that Sharon mentioned with the, the, the fighter cards popping up, that's such a great oh shit moment where he um, where, where Wheeler shows up and it's like number two pound for pound fighter in the world. Oh, whoops. So you got your headgear now on now. The way that Coogler is able to use visual film language to get different reactions out of the audience, the way he employs those tricks in Creed is why as soon as they announced him for Black Panther, I was like, he's going to make a masterpiece. <laughs> because he is just so... This is his second movie. I hate him for how good he is at this. This is his <laughs> second movie, and it's the best Rocky movie. And that's saying a lot. Yeah, two and Balboa and one and yep, <laughs> there are some really great films in that series. Yeah, and he's he's got there is no flab on his career at this point. Yeah. Fruitvale Station is amazing, but nobody's seen it. But uh, you should remedy that, folks. It's fucking hard going, but it, uh, especially if you've seen the Hate You Give, it it feels like those two work together. But uh, but Creed, you you equated it with the Force Awakens. That's a really on point comparison because Force Awakens has endured years and it came out at the end of 2015 as well uh, endured years of being uh, um, hand waved off as just a remake of A New Hope and it is but it's so much more than that there's layers beneath the surface it is A New Hope remade with full knowledge of what happens in Empire and Jedi and a dedication to do something beyond that and this is Rocky made uh, with an, an idea to bringing forwards a legacy and at the same time giving us a rich, rich series of characters that surpass those of the original Rocky. So in very basic terms, yes, it's a remake. But even in your world, Son of Adam, that is not what a star is, but only what it is made of. Indeed. And you're right to use the term, it goes beyond just being a remake because it's... Again, it takes somebody with skill and courage to retell a story and put their own mark on that story by making it deeper and going beyond the original beats rather than simply succumbing to the temptation to just do something different, like take one of those beats and twist it. And do something that's that's unexpected, but not necessarily deeper. Because at the end of the original Rocky, I found out several years after I first watched it, uh, all he wanted to do was just keep fighting, get to the uh, end of that fight, and just 
still be standing to be able to compete that's the only thing he had to prove and it's a wonderful simple straightforward film and this is the same but with a scope of decades of prior knowledge that those originals just didn't have as well as a richness and complexity of production techniques and storytelling which surpasses that of the past the younger characters are deeper they're wrestling with more the older characters are deeper they're wrestling with more And because it continues the chronology, just like Star Wars, we know what they're wrestling with. As opposed to just first meeting Obi-Wan Kenobi and going, well, this is a fun old wizard, I wonder what happened to him. By the same token, Rocky is in the Mickey role in Creed. We, We were given really good reasons why he needed to keep fighting. And... I'd like to think that there's a future for this series. I don't even really care if Creed 2 doesn't measure up because this first one is so fantastic. We have to get used to the idea that if a film has poor follow-ups, which it almost certainly will, especially if it's a masterpiece or follow-ups that don't measure up, that shouldn't necessarily and can't diminish the original. There is a readiness, an eagerness, on the part of fandoms to pronounce franchises dead. Star Wars was pronounced dead. Indiana Jones and the Matrix have whole sequels whose existences are denied. Jurassic Park, after its second most successful film of all time, Fallen Kingdom. Apparently now, not at the end of Jurassic Park 3, but now we're getting franchise fatigue. There's an astonishing lack of perspective in these pronunciations. Every time a comic book adaptation comes out, there's new articles with superhero fatigue, conflating the blinkered viewpoint of the opinion spouter with everybody. Like even Venom that I didn't personally like, but clearly a lot of people did. There was an article in Forbes declaring superhero fatigue fails once again. When you talk about fatigue failing, what you're really talking about is a concept that isn't there. Not with the ubiquitousness that it's declared at. Let me tell you something, folks. Star Wars isn't dead, Jurassic Park isn't dead, and Rocky isn't dead. These are films. They live in the cultural consciousness. Every time a classic gets shown to a child, or even an adult who's not yet seen it, they gain new lease of life. The industry of movie making, not the artistic soul, but the industry, is founded on business. It makes perfect sense for businesses to attempt to replicate successful patterns. Hence sequels, remakes, prequels, adaptations, franchises, and worlds. Some of these are rubbish, but occasionally you'll get something fan-bloody-tastic, just like Creed, at which point lamenting the business practices seems somewhat short-sighted. To get the smooth, we have to abide the rough. There is no perfect engine for churning out movies, and very few businesses will approve of the plan just give artists money and see what happens. If you know of a business that does, please put them in touch with me. You may as well pronounce Christmas dead just because you're sick of it. I sympathize, but Christmas is alive. We're bringing it back. You can now wish people Merry Christmas. Bottom line is, it doesn't matter if the next Creed is bad, or the next Star Wars is bad, the next Magical World film is bad, the next Marvel is bad. What these stories mean to us, historically speaking, as well as, let's face it, how much they made at the box office, means that every single one of them is infinitely more powerful than any one single person, or even collection of fans, pronouncing the whole series dead. They'll outlive all of us. 
Cthulhu movies thrill just to bring knowledge. I probably shouldn't brag, but man, these shows can astonish. But it takes a lot of work and effort just to polish. With that in mind, I got some good people now to acknowledge. Cause when you're on the Patreon, your cash turns into fuel. It powers the creation of a little movie school. Been going eight years since the Star Wars prequel shows. Your support keeps us going, but it also helps us grow. grow. Mentally, creatively, and of course financially. Our analysis matures with an increasing complexity. And it has to be said fundamentally. It's you people who have brought to life New Century. So thank you to these patrons here on the 15th. Dollar tier. Tom Painter, Nick and Dan with Kevin Otero, Hatfield and my boy Duran Lecluse and Joe Crow. Lucian, Kieran Datchler, they have been here for years. Chris Finnick, Toby Jungies, always there with the cheers. Jameis and White's got commissions of a generous amount. Joel Robinson's donated more than I can count. You boys sustain. Don't forget my girl Lorraine. You're the ones that keep us stable. You keep our shows on the playbill. The Davids, Hickman and April. You've been willing and able, like Savard, Sean and Finn by putting food on our table. And to all the rest of you good, kind, sweet people who pay us money every month to make these shows, thank you. The thing that I appreciate about the Rocky films, and uh, I, you know, I've, I've always liked Rocky, the the first one, and I appreciated the the franchise. But this movie made me fall in love with with everything about it. Yeah. Um, is Creed? like all the really great Rocky films could be the last one yeah. and it'd be fine. It could almost be the only one and it'd be fine. You know, you start with <clears throat> three and it's got, it's, it's ridiculous, but that's a perfectly self-contained superhero story. You start with Rocky Balboa. And if you've never seen any of the others, it's this guy trying to get that one last thing when he's well past his prime story. You know, you, you could just, if Creed two is bad, that doesn't matter because Creed one is a masterpiece and stands completely on its own as well as being the perfect ending for the Rocky franchise. If that's it. And I mean, Sylvester Stallone is very, very good at doing something well and then almost immediately doing something very badly. (laughs) So at some, at some point he's going to, he's going to make a bad Creed follow up because Rocky's three, four and five were very different (laughs) it is worth noting by the way that i have absolutely no illusion why i like rocky 4 so much it's the first one i saw and one of the reasons why a lot of the rocky films can be standalone movies is because they use a lot of the earlier films in the footage rocky 4 is mostly footage from 1 2 and 3 yeah okay well we'll be talking about them later because we're going to cover rocky's one through six at a later date, and we'll be covering Creed 2, like I said. We don't know exactly whether we're going to do one big show or three big shows. We'll see. But uh, that's a, a question for another time. And uh, we're going to leave you now with Prisoner, because it's just a great song. Although the uh, it does have some objectionable-as-fuck lyrics in here. So, uh, you know, pre-warning. It, it's a hard rap. Brendan, where can people find your work? Uh, you can find me most often at Synapse, C-I-N-A-P-S-E dot C-O. I've also recently contributed to the the Cineween um, Halloween series on Cinepunks.com, which is C-I-N-E-P-U-N-K-P-U-N-X dot com. Um, if you want to hear me talk about Creed while I watch it way too many times and talk about how great it is, you can also follow me on Twitter at BLC Agnew because <laughs> I watch Creed a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for coming on this show. It was uh, exactly what I wanted it to be. My pleasure.
Next week, we are back in kaiju country with the 2016 indie sci-fi drama starring Anne Hathaway, Colossal. So I've been Alex Shaw. I've been Sharon Shaw. And School's Out. Let's lay plan, make a mess made. Damn nation, let's play hand sand spades. Let's without a boycott and a sit out. Afro black pick in with a fist out. From the welcome home to the kick out. Reaching to a rabbit, pull a trick out. Preacher preaching to a faggot with his dick out. All times got for arm time. Sick, sick, sick eyes from the nose pressure. Police slip zip ties on the protesters. The six wives in the fry of a molester. Matter, matter, caviar bar. I'm the old desa. Dirty needles breaking all the old records. A hundred holes, one shovel, and some old treasure. Old Zeke used teeth as a gold tester. Finger rolls, finger waves, closet full of old leathers. Old sweaters, old boots, that's a whole suit for some cold weather. New cell, two L's, and some old letters. Night doing double life, why she lead a double life? Many need another wife. New approach might help a nigga bowl better. New hoes might help a nigga hold together. Or will a new lane lead them to the same pen? And the hunger strike bring them to the same pen. Love ends, looking over various errors. Eventually accelerating terror And when I'm the mirror I just want to be collected When I call, goddamn, I don't want to be accepted Not at all as I am Visitor, visitor, prisoner, prisoner land. Getting slim from the protest, no food Force fed him like Hobie with a nose tube Vision seconds, so the yogi with the gold shoes With the rolly going bowling for the old school I need more for the Michaels That's a loss for the class and a score for the rifles Three hots and a cot and some cops Trying to find dinosaurs in the Bible It's all quiet in the jailhouse Then they ride in to find the empty cells out There's looking for the swords There's looking for the swords I'm just looking at their feet cause I'm looking for the law Looking in the library, looking at the law Ten years deep, now I'm looking at the bar Trying to sovereignty cause I'm looking with the mars They degenerate, they ain't looking at the game They just looking at the stars What they putting on my books cause I'm looking at the star Trade a shank for some crank, now I'm looking at a wall BGF, FBR, AB Got the kitchen stitches on PC Eminem on the mission, but CO's got the prison God got us all, God set us free God is the key, but the God's got the key Love ends, looking over various errors Hate ends, eventually accelerating terror And when, with the mirror, I just wanna be collected When I call, goddamn, I don't wanna be accepted Not at all as I am Visitor, prisoner, prisoner Punching on the glass Tear some killer Might fuck him in the ass Staff getting rigid Wasn't gonna take away the visits Segregate niggas by themselves And make them stay with it Wicked Swung the shank around On the mop string They had to pull him out of cell With a SWAT team That's a cop team They sent helicopters to stop The helicoptering Men thought they hear fly away Like a kite take flight Like a letter on a string Like propellers on the wing But the kite was the key They made electric chairs for us dying day Last meals, no one feels them to try to stay And death row like sugar in a late pot Maybe he could dig a tunnel out of a block And wear gloves for the razor wire gate tops Scared thugs going crazy in a cage box Looking at the world through the TV a day room Rapping over beats from the tabletop stand That's how it is in a police state When your life is just a number and release date When you're rehabilitated so correctly And it's hope that's how they live it when you're set free looking over various errors Eventually accelerating terror And when With the mirror I just wanna be collected When I call goddamn I don't wanna be accepted Not at all as I am Visitor, visitor, prisoner, prisoner land, land, land. Charges, press 1 To reduce charges, press Thank you for using Securus. You may start the conversation now.
One last thing. One of the deleted scenes is that Donis and Bianca are on their date and she's explaining the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air to him and how he's kind of the reverse of that. He came from a mansion in California to prove himself and live on the grimy streets of Philadelphia. Which kind of got me thinking. Now this is a story all about how my life got flipped, turned upside down. And I'd like to take a minute, just sit right there. I'll tell you how I became the prince of a town called West Philadelphia. In Bel Air, born and raised on the playground is where I spent most of my days. Chilling out, maxing, relaxing, all cool and all shooting some b-ball outside of the school when a couple of guys who were up to no good started making trouble in my neighborhood. I got in one little fight and my mom got scared and said, I would have knocked you up myself. I didn't take you in for you to go backwards. You're better than this. I whistled for a cab and when it came near, the license plate said fresh and it had dice in the mirror. If anything, I could say that this cab was rare, but I thought, man, forget it. Yo, home's the West Philadelphia. Hi, man. Wait, don't you want this? I got it right here. What if you lose that there? It breaks. It's already up in the cloud. I pulled up to the house about seven or eight, and I yelled to the cabbie, Yo, home, smell you later. Looked at my kingdom, I was finally there to sit on my throne at the Prince of West Philadelphia. Yeah, I've been working on trying to build my own legacy. You know, legacy? Yeah, we got some kind of comedy club. I'm here now, though. Found I'm here now. Yeah. You a false creep. Right, I'll show you right now. My pops ain't here.